Wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! I am the voice of the voiceless. Do I have everybody's attention now? Sorry about your damn luck. I deserve one more match. It's going to be the end of the world as you know it. Welcome back, folks, to WrestleRant Radio for June 24th, 2014. I'm your host, Blitzer Report featured columnist Graham Jason Matthews, with a lot to talk about here today with the review of Monday Night Raw from last night, June 23rd, the best in the world pay-per-view pre- presented by Ring of Honor this past Sunday night, TNA Impact Wrestling, a very newsworthy episode this past week for June 19th, 2014, as well as the Money in the Bank pay-per-view this upcoming Sunday. Very much looking forward to that. Uh, predictions for that event coming up just in a little bit. We'll go in chronological order, starting with TNA from last week, with a lot of stuff happening, and also get into the stuff that was announced for this week's uh, New York tapings, which is very much uh, I'm very much looking forward to. They got a lot of stuff stacked up for those shows, so it should be a hot crowd. A lot of people coming back. I'll be talking about it in just a minute. But for the latest edition of Impact Wrestling, the biggest news story coming out of it is Bobby Lashley, who has been apparently renamed as just Lashley. Um, that was never really directly announced, but I'm just going off of what MVP said on Impact at Slammiversary, and also what the news release said on Impact's Wrestling on uh, TNA's website last week after he won the championship. But anyway. Lashley winning the TNA World Heavyweight Championship from Eric Young on last last week's episode of Impact. Um, I think Dixie Carter put out a thing on Twitter earlier on in the week saying Eric Young will be forced to defend the championship. Who should he defend against? Tweet me who you think it should be. All of that stuff was basically irrelevant since MVP just basically um, put him in a championship match anyway against Bobby Lashley. It was, he actually defended the championship earlier on in the evening against Kenny King in like maybe a two or three minute matchup, which is pretty disappointing because they had a half decent matchup last week on Impact Wrestling. But anyway, though, so Bobby Lashley set to contend for the inter, uh, for the Intercontinental title for the Impact Wrestling Championship for the TNA World Heavyweight Title on that week's episode of Impact, and then later on in the night. After MVP banned everyone from the arena, everyone from the floor staff to the wrestlers, to the divas, to the knockouts, I mean, to the cameramen, to even Jeremy Borash, everyone was kicked out of the building with the exception of Lashley, Kenny King, and MVP. So it came down to those guys after some interference, Lashley capitalized and picked up the victory to become the new TNA World Heavyweight Champion. Now, so the controversy coming out of this much like when Eric Young won the championship only a few months ago, has been very controversial. A lot of people talking about whether this was a good move, a bad move. So here are my thoughts on Lashley winning the championship. First of all, I guess TNA is more more uh, focused on making their shows more important than the pay-per-views. Obviously, if they wanted to do a title change, it would have made more sense to do it to have the title change occur on the Slammiversary pay-per-view last week. But as someone pointed out, TNA right now is more focused on signing a new deal with Spike TV, um, which I don't think has been signed yet. So I think they're more focused on that, and they want to spike a rating. Impact did do a 
pretty good rating um, as compared to the week's prior edition. So there is that. There was a lot of stuff hyped up for the show. It was live for the first time, and I think since Eric Chung won the championship, um, coincidentally enough, back in early April after WrestleMania, I think the Thursday after WrestleMania when Eric Young won the championship. But anyway, though, they are more focused on that happening right now, the Spike TV deal, that kind of stuff happening. So I'm not surprised that the title changed hands on Impact, but as I was thinking, as I tweeted out shortly after the show on Thursday night, this just occurred to me. I mean, the last time the WWE's championship, the WWE's top prize, changed hands on a show, on a Raw, SmackDown, whatever, was back on July 25th, 2011, when John Cena beat Rey Mysterio to win the vacated WWE title. That was over almost three years ago, okay? So, TNA's top prize. And I know the World Heavyweight Championship has changed hands on Raw SmackDown a few times in the last couple of years, but that was always like a second-tier title to the WWE Championship anyway, so I don't really count that. We're talking the WWE Championship here. So, TNA's top-tier title, the TNA World Heavyweight Championship, has changed hands on television on Impact Wrestling a total, I think, of seven times in the last three, four years, um, since July 25th, 2011. Bully Ray won it from Chris Sabin last year. Chris Sabin won it. Who else won it? Magnus, Eric Young, Bobby Lashley. I'm trying to think who else has won the championship. James Storm, Bobby Roode. There is a long list of individuals who have won the TNA World Heavyweight Championship on television as opposed to on pay-per-view in recent years. I guess TNA doesn't really care about their pay-per-view buy rates. I mean, no one was really hyped up going into the Slammiversary pay-per-view to begin with, and there was really no tease of a title change anyway, and people really had no incentive to think the title would change hands. So I guess it probably was a better idea to do it on impact. But that aside, though, to put the, the move to put the championship on Bobby Lashley, I've always been a fan of Bobby Lashley. I was not a fan of wrestling at the time that he was in the WWE. But regardless of I thought his first TNA stint back in 2010 which I was a fan for, was a flop. He never did anything back then. And he's not the world's greatest mic talker. He's not the best wrestler in the world. But you put him in with a, you, you put him in the ring with a guy like Austin Aries or an Eric Young or a Samoa Joe. He's gonna have a good match. And with MVP by his side, he's got the mouthpiece. He doesn't need to cut any promos. I don't think that he should be the guy that TNA builds the division around, but I'm not saying it's an all-round bad move that they took the championship off Eric Young and put it on Bobby Lashley. I was never a huge fan of putting the championship on Eric Young to begin with, but my main concern, my main issue with the title change is that they built up all this time, they took up so much freaking time on TV, building up Eric Young as a main event guy. And I'm not saying after now dropping the championship, he'll go back to being a comedy figure. You never know, time will tell. But they wasted so much time trying to build him up as an equal to guys like Samoa Joe, Austin Aries, MVP, um, Bobby Roode, Magnus, all these main event guys in TNA, and now it's just all going to the wayside now that Bobby Lashley, the TNA champion, he was only champion for about two months. He had a few good title defenses against Abyss, Magnus, Bobby Roode, MVP twice on TV, but that was about it. But um, that aside, though, I thought the reign of Eric Young would at least go on till Bound for Glory, build him up a little bit. And to go back to the point, I, I haven't mentioned this yet, but... Um, I did write an article about this on Wrestling Rambles a couple of weeks ago, and I guess TNA isn't going forward with it, but 
and I haven't heard anyone talk about this at all, but is the Bound for Glory series not coming back this year? And I know the last or, or the next couple of uh, shows for Impact, dating until I think earlier mid-July for next month, have already been taped. They taped those a few days ago, and I don't read spoilers and whatnot, but based off what has been announced for the upcoming tapings, I don't think that the Bound for Glory series is taking place this year, which is a shame. I've always been a fan of the Bound for Glory series dating back to 2011. When it first debuted that year, it was a bit screwy. A lot of the rules were kind of messed up. 2012, I thought, was the best installment. Last year was good. Not as great as the year before because a lot of the people didn't face one another, which was supposed to be the rules of the entire tournament that everyone faces each other once. And that's not what they did last year. But anyway, though. I thought it was a good concept, um, a good summer staple, so to speak, for TNA to build up the Bound for Glory, and I don't think they're doing that this year with the title change and stuff like that. It's already been announced, and there's supposed to be a battle royal to determine the number one contender, but TNA announced it anyway, That, and I think the July 25th episode, or July 28th, or yeah, July 25th, I don't know, whatever episode it is, TNA is doing a... Um, is doing a championship match between Jeff Hardy and Bobby Lashley for the TNA World Heavyweight title. So it's already been announced, and I guess they aren't doing the BFG series. I'm not exactly sure, but it looks like, based off what I've heard, they're not, which is a shame. I've always been a fan of the concept, like I said before. But anyway, though, Eric Young, like I said before, they wasted a lot of TV time trying to build this guy up as a credible individual in the main event scene to the TNA World title. They were supposed to build him up as an equal, he should have been booked as an underdog champion the entire time, which is what he was when he won the title to begin with, in Daniel Bryan fashion, like fashion, I mean, that's been like the WWE-like kind of philosophy, the mindset that a lot of people have had since Eric Young won the championship, but anyway, though, um, they just wasted so much time trying to build this guy up, and now it just goes to complete waste now that Bobby Lashley is the champion. So like I said before, it's not a completely bad move that Bobby Lashley is the TNA World WA champion. Yes, I would rather have the championship on someone like a Bobby Roode or James Storm or Samoa Joe or an Austin Aries and um, as opposed to someone like a Bobby Lashley who just returned two or three months ago and I was automatically the TNA World Heavyweight Champion after being um, seen as a lackeyed MVP for the, for the last month and a half. But going back to MVP for a second, um, I'm not sure if he was scheduled to win the championship at Slammiversary had he not been injured. That probably what was the plan. And it probably would have been more in favor of that as opposed to Lashley winning the championship out of nowhere. But even still, though, I think Bobby Lashley versus... Uh, I don't want to see Bobby Lashley turn face and, and face MVP at bound, at bound for Glory for the TNA Championship, and I don't think they'll do that. Now, as I said on Twitter a few days ago, if it's a match that you can do in SmackDown versus Raw, it's not a match that should be the TNA main event for Bound for Glory. But um, anyway, though, I think that they if they build up Bobby Lashley and he holds the championship until at least Bound for Glory in a couple months in October then he will be considered more of a success as champion than Eric Young. He could get a few good title reigns or a good few title defenses under his belt if given the right opponents, like I said before, like an Eric Young or an Aries or a Joe. But um, I am excited that Bobby Roode is now back as a fan favorite, apparently, which I am in favor of. I know some people are complaining, oh, it's the latest TNA face heel turn. They've been doing so many of these in the last year. Well, that is true. I mean, we've had so many faces and heel turns in the last number of months with Bully Ray and James Storm and Magnus and a lot of people have turned face and heel in the last number of months. 
I understand that. But I think Bobby Roode's is probably the most needed out of all of them. Bobby Roode first turned heel in late 2011 um, after winning the World Heavyweight Championship from his best friend James Storm, one of my favorite angles and feuds in TNA history, going on a feud for the next year over that championship and culminating in a great match at Bound for Glory 2012. But um, that being said, though, he shined as a heel. I thought he did his best work as a heel. I I wasn't really buying into him as a top face in the company back in 2011. I was mentioning to someone that um, that uh, I remember three years ago I was talking to one of my wrestling friends saying, I don't think it's Bobby Roode's time to become TNA champion. And a lot of people that he, a lot of people were pissed that he didn't win at Bound for Glory that year. I was excited for one thing that Kurt Angle retained. I mean, it was in shitty fashion, but I was happy that he retained because I didn't think Bobby Roode was ready. But with his heel turn, he became the most interesting and one of the greatest competitors in TNA at the time, and it was great to see TNA building the entire company around him for that period of time that he held the championship for, having the longest reigning, uh, having the longest reign in the history of the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. So I'm excited that he's back for one thing. I'm excited that he's a fan favorite because he exhausted all options as a heel. He's done it all. He's been the World Heavyweight Champion. He was Tag Team Champion. He's done a few feuds here and there with uh, with Bully Ray and Jeff Hardy and a number of others in the last few years. He's done it all as a heel in TNA. It was time to turn him face. It's unfortunate they can't do a beer money reunion now that James Storm is heel, but that was another thing that I was thinking about a couple days ago that they could do that gets me really excited that if they revisit that feud, that the tables would return this time around with James Storm as the heel and Bobby Roode as the face, and that could be good money feud too. So if they go back to that at some point, I'd be really excited, especially if it was over the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. But you two, the, you, you have a feud between the two Bobbies, Bobby Roode and Bobby Lashley, over the championship in coming months. I think he could be great. Bobby Roode as a face could be great for TNA. He could be the guy that they build the company around finally. Eric Young was that guy for a while, but like I said, his reign was too short in order to be considered a success. It was fun while it lasted, but people weren't really buying into him as a threat as TNA World Heavyweight Champion. So, And Bobby Lassie is a much more believable guy as TNA World Heavyweight Champion than Eric Young. So I look forward to that feud developing. Hopefully Bobby Roode or Aries or Samoa Joe, who was long overdue for a championship run, for a championship run, is given the uh, shot to contend for the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. Hopefully one of those guys, along with James Storm, is uh, will be contending for the championship in coming months, going to Bound for Glory. I would love to see one of those guys be the one to take the title off of Bobby Lashley. And hell, if Bobby Lashley's built up like a monster heel that he should be, then taking the title off of him at some point will be considered a much bigger deal. So hopefully they book him accordingly in months ahead. So that being said, though, a lot of other stuff announced for the TNA tapings going into New York this upcoming week. Um, today's the 24th as I tape this. They'll be taping their New York shows, 25th, 26th, and 27th. All of them have something stacked. We've got Destination X, whoever the TNA X Division champion is. Um, I don't know if the title's changed hands. We'll have to wait and see. But um, whoever the X Division champion is, as of right now, Sonata, will be cashing in, or hopefully will be cashing in their X Division championship for a shot at the TNA World Heavyweight title at Destination X, which is very exciting. We also have the returns of Tommy Dreamer, who we turned on the um, on last week's episode of Impact, had a very good promo to cut on Dixie Carter. Not so burying TNA, but he had a lot of truthful comments regarding the company and Dixie in the Hardcore Justice event from a couple of years ago. I was happy that he brought up that. And uh, I'm not 
at all advocating another ECW reunion. Um, some people said that in a hardcore a House of Hardcore invasion um, on TNA would be a repeat of EV 2.0. I don't see that happening. I don't think House of Hardcore consists of a lot of ECW originals. But that being said, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I don't, I don't see that being the direction they take with Tommy Dreamer in TNA. But I am excited that he's back. Um, Rhino, another guy that we haven't seen in TNA in years. I think the last time we saw Rhino in a TNA ring was maybe in late 2010 in a feud with Tommy Dreamer, coincidentally enough. And I don't think he ever came back. I think he was released or left TNA in late 2010. And that was it. And I, I don't think we've seen him in TNA since. So I'm looking forward to him coming back. I don't know what his role will be. But it should be fun nevertheless. Um, Taryn Terrell, who recently came back on an episode of Impact. I'm very glad to see her back. She was one of my favorite knockouts last year. In her strong series of matches with Gail Kim. And uh, hopefully they these two feud over the championship at some point. For right now, I would love to see Taryn Terrell win the Knockouts Championship from Angelina Love at some point. Not next week, maybe not even next month. Maybe you build towards that for Bound for Glory. Or you put the title on Terrell at some point within the next few months. And then you build to Terrell versus Gail Kim at Bound for Glory for the Knockouts Championship. Which I think would be great. Even Gail Kim said in her promo, in her confrontation with Terrell on this past week's episode of Impact, that they are one for one. Taryn Terrell won the last knockout standing match at Slammiversary last year. Gail Kim won the ladder match on an episode of Impact, which what which ended up being Terrell's last matchup in TNA. So they are one for one. Technically, they're two to one. Terrell beat Gail Kim on an episode of Impact, I think either March or April or something along those lines. She already owns two victories over Gail. But um, even still, though, I look forward to their rubber match, so to speak, whether, whenever it may be. Hopefully, like I said before, if it was my booking, I would have them clash at Bound for Glory for the TNA Championship. The, the beautiful people are a good foil for Gail Kim and Terrell for right now. And you also have the whole Madison, Rain, and Brittany thing going on right now with Brittany acting psychotic and stalking Madison. So you got a couple of good feuds right now in the Knockouts division, which I am excited for. So hopefully they continue to um, flourish with the Knockouts right now. Also returning for the knockout for the uh, New York tapings in a couple of days, the six-sided ring, which was taken away when Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff came into TNA in January of 2010. Um, I think it's returned maybe once or twice, maybe only once, for a Destination X show. And I think 2011, and maybe that was it. Maybe for a one-night-only show, I'm not exactly sure. But the six-sided ring, fans were given the opportunity to vote for a um, for the option of whether getting a four-sided ring or a six-sided ring. And even Dixie said herself on Twitter that the six-sided ring was, quote, demolishing the four-sided ring in the poll. So I'm happy to see that back. I know a lot of wrestlers are against it, with names including the likes of Austin Aries and Ethan Carter III. He was tweeting in character when he said it, so I don't really know about that. But Austin Aries and Ethan Carter III never competed in the TNA ring, so I don't know where he's coming from. So he must have been just in... He, he he just must have been in character when he said that on Twitter. But Austin Aries has competed in a six-sided ring before. And um, yes, it was a part of TNA's original identity. And I personally, as a fan, am happy to see it back. But um, I also am concerned for the well-being of the wrestlers. 
And uh, as Austin Aries pointed out on Twitter, it's a lot less forgiving on the body. It's not unsafe. I mean, TNA used it for years, and they never really had a lot of problems with it, of course. It's a lot less forgiving on the body. I understand that. But if it's only for a few days, if it's only for like a one taping, and it's not a... Uh, a permanent thing going forward, it should be fine. I don't see what the big deal is. I mean, I'm not one of the wrestlers that have never competed in this six-hour ring, obviously. I don't know for sure. But, I mean, if it's only a one-time thing, it's cool. Bring it back for the tapings for New York. It should be a really cool element to add to the shows. I'm looking forward to it, especially for Destination X, which was known for its six-sided ring, Destination X, or the Ultimate X, I should say. So I'm looking forward to that. Also returning... Or making his debut, I think. I don't know if he was ever in TNA, but independent star Brian Cage. I'm not familiar with him, but it's cool to see some fresh blood in the X Division for these tapings. Returning is Homicide, the former um, LAX tag team partner of Hernandez. It's a shame that Hernandez is now gone from TNA, so they can't do that reunion. But Homicide will probably be coming back for the Destination X pay-per-view for the X Division for the for these tapings. So glad to see him back. And Loki as well, also known as Caval, also known as Senshi and TNA, Caval and WWE. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Loki at one point have a beef with TNA? Isn't that why he left in the first place? Um, and, and jump ship to WWE? I mean, I, I don't know what the whole thing is there, but I, I could have sworn that Loki had a problem with TNA and their management and his booking and the booking of his character and whatever else. He had a problem with TNA at one point. And it might have been just with uh, Vince Russo. But um, <clears throat> even still, though, I am happy to see him back. I thought his WWE run left a lot to be desired. But even so, though, him coming back to TNA should be cool. And um, this whole series of taping should be awesome. I mean, we've got a long list of individuals we're coming back for these shows, and um, it should be great to see them back. They're going to be competing with the Destination Next, like I said before. TNA, I mean, they've had a lot of bad spots. They had their worst series of tapings, their worst set of tapings a couple of weeks ago. But um, now that they're new in New York for these shows, it should be great. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully they flourish. I wish them the best of luck. And I look forward to how these, uh, how these tapings in New York unfold. New York is known as one of the best wrestling crowds in wrestling history, so um, I'm I'm very much looking forward to how these tapings play out, and hopefully they uh, end up doing as well as a lot of people expect them to. So moving right along here to my review of the Ring of Honor Best in the World pay-per-view from this past Sunday night for June 22nd, 2014. As noted, I've been regularly watching Ring of Honor since the War of the Worlds pay-per-view last month. I've been gotten some more. I, I've been having some more time. Um, to watch Ring of Honor since I got out of college. I'm not as busy anymore. So I do have some time to watch Ring of Honor. And um, I've been, I watched the War of the World pay-per-view, as I said before. And I've also been tuning into the regular TV show online. I don't watch it live or wherever it's aired. I watch it on some website a couple days later on Wednesday or Thursday. But um, even so, though, I've been really enjoying it, uh, following along with the storylines. I probably enjoyed this show more than I did War of the Worlds. That had a lot of great action, too. But I think I enjoyed this show more because I was aware, I, I was, I knew more of the wrestlers on the card, for one thing. Also, I was more aware of the storylines going into the show, so they meant more to me personally. But um, even still, though, I was going to watch on Sunday Night Live, the, the price tag, I think it was $25.00 which is a lot better than a lot of the WWE pay-per-views that you pay 40 50 bucks for. Same thing with TNA. So this was a really great deal. I was unable to watch live on Sunday night. I was at work, but I did watch um, over the course of Monday and after Raw on Monday night. I really enjoyed it. We'll be breaking it down for you right here, right now. 
kicking off the show as a six-man mayhem match to score a future Ring of Honor World Television Championship matchup. And the contestants included ACH, Watanabe, Caprice Coleman, Tadarius Thomas, BJ Whitmer, and Tommaso Chiampa. Tommaso Chiampa, I have seen. I've been at Northeast Wrestling events in the last couple of years. He's been at a few of them. I didn't know who he was at the time, where he came from, and stuff like that. But um, I just assumed that he would win this matchup, if only because, like I said before, I've been watching ROH TV in the last couple of weeks. And at one point, him, Taven, and Lethal were supposed to compete in a triple threat match for the TV title. And it never came to fruition for one reason or another. So I just figured that him winning here would set him up for a future rematch with Lethal, with Lethal for, the TVA, for the TNA Championship, for the TNA ROH TNA. What the fuck am I saying? <laughs> for the Ring of Honor TV Championship. But um, he did not. I mean, he was the most over guy in this contest, and he had a lot of awesome spots. His finisher is amazing. I've never seen it before. But, um, you know, lifting people up for the powerbomb and then releasing them into a backbreaker was freaking sweet. But um, he did not win this matchup. The winner of this contest was ACH. And as I said on Twitter a few weeks ago, I've been really impressed with ACH. I don't know what matchup it was, but I saw him in a match on... Uh, on uh, Ring of Honor TV a few weeks ago, and he really impressed me. So I was very happy to see him come out of this one victorious. I guess he might be an up-and-coming, or like I said, I've only been watching for the last month, I'm not exactly sure, but I think he's an up-and-comer in Ring of Honor. He had a very good showing here, and I'm um, glad to see him pick up the victory. I mean, him versus Lethal could be a very good matchup. Lethal's another great competitor, I'll get to that in a second, but um, he was a favorite of mine in TNA, so that matchup should be great for the ROH TV title. Speaking of the TV title, up next we had Jay Lethal versus Matt Taven for the ROH World Television Championship with Truth Martini, the manager of Jay Lethal, handcuffed at ringside. So a very gimmicky matchup. I mean, Matt Taven, I've heard from several people that he's not over, people aren't behind him as a babyface, and I'll say this much, and I've said this before in various videos that I've done on my YouTube channel and stuff like this, um, I've been attending Northeast Wrestling, an independent promotion, wrestling promotion, up here in the Northeast for about five years now. And one of the first matches I've ever seen, on a, one of the first live matches I've seen, was involved Matt Taven. And um, I've been a big fan of his ever since. I've been He's been almost every Northeast Wrestling show I've ever attended in the last number of years. And um, he's been great to see develop as a competitor. He was one of the longest ratings Northeast Wrestling Champions in the company history. But after a while, after holding the championship for so long, people started to turn their backs on him. The fans did, that is. And he turned heel. And I thought he did his best work as a heel. And even to this day in Northeast Wrestling, he still works as a heel with his real-life girl, girlfriend, I believe, um, what's her name, Casey Ray, as his side, uh, as his valet by his side, and um, I think he's been doing terrific work as a heel in, in Northeast Wrestling, so I'm hoping he brings that persona over to Ring of Honor, I don't know if they would allow him to, but um, hopefully at some point, like people have said, and I do uh, second this statement, that this sentiment, that people just aren't behind Matt Taven right now as a babyface. He's got a good following, but hopefully at some point he does turn heel in Ring of Honor. Maybe he's been heel before, I don't know. And maybe he just recently turned babyface. But I think he does work a lot better as a heel than a face. But even so, though, I thought this was a good matchup. It was not the action-paced, um, the fast-paced action from bell to bell matchup that the opener was, and that was a great opener. But um, the, the thing with this matchup that it told a story. Matt Taven was hell-bent on getting his revenge on Truth Martini, who has cost him the TV title in the past. 
So he was hell-bent on getting revenge after he knocked out the woman at ringside, whatever her name was, I think Silesia or something like that, as well after he knocked out Lethal, he went straight after Truth Martini at ringside, but before he could, Truth Martini paid off one of the security guards at ringside to prevent Matt Taven from getting, uh, from, from getting his hands on Martini. And that was a bit of a weird spot, if only because if they were going to do something like that, why not have someone interfere to trigger a feud with Taven, like a Kiampa, I know he's a face, but whatever, um, or anyone else on the roster. It just didn't make any sense to have a security guard come in and he be the one to cost Taven his shot at getting his hands on Martini. Um, unless this security guard ends up becoming a wrestler or Taven ends up getting his revenge on him on an up- upcoming episode of ROH TV, then I just don't see what the what purpose is served. You know what I mean? I thought it was a weird angle and a weird thing to do to close out the matchup, but otherwise I thought this was a good match. Jay Lethal um, ended up capitalizing on the opportunity after Taven was so obsessed with getting his hands on Martini at ringside that Lethal capitalized, picked up the victory with his awesome-looking finisher to retain the ROH World Television Championship. So that being said, though, it was also a bit strange to see the woman, and I guess her gimmick is to be strong, I guess, but she broke the handcuffs at ringside and took Martini to the back before Taven could get his hands on him. That was a bit strange, too. A lot of this was overbooked and unnecessary, but it was a good matchup for what it was. Um, Up next, we had Cedric Alexander against Roderick Strong in a submission match. I don't know what the point of the submission stipulation was, but it was entertaining, though. I thought this was also a very good matchup. On the latest episode of ROH TV, they they showed the build-up to each of the main matches on the card. And I think this might have been the feud that was built around Alexander and Strong having a battle of the backbreakers, who has the better backbreaker finisher. But that was never really mentioned by the commentators in this matchup, nor was it the focus of this contest. Um, So I think it kind of escalated into something much more personal. But Roderick Strong, a great athlete, as is Cedric Alexander. I thought this match also told a great story, really enjoyed it. Cedric Alexander finally got his... um, up, up, up in Kumpiance, or however you say it, however you pronounce it. He got his revenge, I guess I should say, over Roderick Strong to pick up the victory. So a very good matchup. I thought this was an awesome matchup from both individuals. I guess WWE is scouting Strong, or has scouted Strong in the past. He'd be a great pickup for WWE's NXT roster, and eventually the main roster. So, um, yeah, I, thought, I think he could be a great fit in WWE, and Cedric Alexander, who I think I've seen compete in the, in the, in the past at a live event for Northeast wrestling um he's come a long way and i think that was in 2010 so he's come a long way in the last four years and i look forward to seeing him um continue to develop as well up next we had the briscoe brothers against matt hardy and michael bennett in a tag team contest ended in disqualification a few minutes in um nigel mcginnis the roh general manager authority figure whatever you want to call him comes out changes the matchup to no dq and what i thought was if not the match of the night, then one of the best matches of the night. Just an absolute spot fest of a contest, and I don't mean that in a bad way. A lot of awesome spots, a lot of hardcore brawling, and that's what the Briscoes are known for anyway, so I might as well play up to their strengths. Um, a lot of great chemistry, and Matt Hardy, I've always been a big fan of him, but um, just the way that he's embraced his heel persona on Ring of Honor is very admirable. It's, it was a great way for him to go out if this was indeed his last matchup. I've seen a lot of people speculate that, that this was ROH's um, Matt Hardy's final match in ROH for right now, seeing how he will be at the TNA tapings this upcoming week. 
And um, he appeared in the main event anyway. I mean, he, he took the pinfall in this matchup and put over the Briscoe brothers in a big way. So that was very cool to see. But um, that being said, though, I mean, he came out later in the night, so it's not like the, uh, the the moves that he took at the end of this matchup, which could have written someone off TV, were the could be the last that we saw of him. I mean, he appeared in the main event anyway. So I'm anxious to see whether he reappears in um, Ring of Honor in upcoming weeks. I think their next taping, their next TV taping is in July. But um, even so, though, I look forward to Matt Hardy's work if he doesn't if he does intend to return to ROH at some point in the near future, because what he's been doing the last couple of weeks has been tremendous. Michael Bennett is another guy I've seen work live at Northeast Wrestling in the past. He's a great individual. He should be uh, in WWE by this point, too. Um, he would be a great pickup for them. The Briscoe Brothers, I'm not a big fan of them, but the wrestling ability is off the charts. They're over. They're hardcore. They're trashy. They're great. Um, a lot of people just think they're straight-up awesome, and they are, and this was a great match. So I really enjoyed this contest. Up next, we had Kevin Steen against Silas Young, and I saw the build-up for this contest because, like I said before, I watched the War of the Worlds pay-per-view after Steen's loss to whoever it was. I forgot who we lost to on that show. He cut a promo, basically his farewell promo, before being interrupted and attacked by Silas Young. Silas Young is another up-and-coming individual for Ring of Honor, um, another great asset to the company who I think could be a future star for them at some point in the near future if he continues to cut promos and do matches like he does here. Um, I thought his matchup with Cena was good. Not as good as it could have been, but it was good. Um, and the action was solid. It wasn't a bad match by any means, by any stretch of the imagination. But the the finish felt anticlimactic. I thought they would build it up a little bit better. I wasn't disappointed that Silas Young lost. Now, seeing that Kevin Cena is on his way to the WWE. And... Um, that being said, I think him and WWE would be a great pickup for them, like I've been saying for everyone else with Roderick Strong and Michael Bennett. But, um, yeah, Kevin Steen would be great in WWE, especially if he was able to rekindle his rivalry with El Generico, a.k.a. Sami Zayn, in NXT. Imagine the matches those two could put on. Oh, my God, that'd be off the charts. But, um, anyway, though, I thought this matchup was good. The finish felt anticlimactic. And what happened afterwards felt like a repeat of what we saw last month at War of the Worlds. Kevin Steen cut a promo, said he gained the respect of Silas Young, and um, you know, basically issuing his final farewell to Ring of Honor. Not not and not his final farewell, so to speak, but kind of saying that I only have a few matches left. I'll be here for the next month and a half before uh, he never said WWE, but he I guess he he will be with ROH for the foreseeable future. But um, before he could finish his promo, Silas Young came back out and attacked Kevin Steen again, much like he did at War of the Worlds. So that felt like a repeat. I thought it was a nice swerve. Kind of like how Mark Henry faked his retirement and kind of hugged it out with John Cena before turning on him. Not on that same level, but it was somewhat similar, and I enjoyed it in that respect. But um, the the finish felt anticlimactic. The match was good, and I guess they're going to be resuming this rivalry for the foreseeable future until Kevin Cena does have to go. And if Kevin Cena won this matchup, then I guess it would only be logical. It would only make sense if he was to put over Young in his final matchup in Ring of Honor. So that would be a great way for him to go out. Um, so hopefully we do see that the next time these two clash, either next month or whenever it may be. But I look forward to that. Um, up next, we had a tag team championship matchup for the ROH World Tag Team titles with Red Dragon, Bobby Fish, and Kyle O'Reilly against a returning Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian. This was another matchup that didn't exactly meet my expectations, but it was a very good contest, far better than anything you'll see in WWE nowadays, or TNA for that matter. But um, a very good contest. I was just a bit disappointed with how Daniels and Kazarian were presented. Their music hit, 
or um, I don't know if it was Daniel's new music or old music or whatever it was, but whenever the theme hit, I thought it was the 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 theme of the Red Dragons or of of Red Dragon, and um, out came Daniel's and Kazarian, and the pop they got really wasn't there at all, and it was really surprising see how seeing how they were hyped up to be at the show dating back to War of the Worlds um, a number of weeks ago. But um, even so, I'm very happy to see them back in Ring of Honor. I guess that's a new trend nowadays to go from the WWE or TNA and then go back home to Ring of Honor. Look at AJ Styles. Look at Bad Influence. Maybe Evan Bourne is next. I would certainly hope so. I read that he was backstage at the event. So hopefully we see him at the um, in Ring of Honor, back in Ring of Honor at some point as Matt Seidel. But anyway, though, this matchup I thought was very good. Like I said, far better than anything you would see in tag team wrestling in the WWE or TNA. But um, it could have been a lot better. Hopefully the feud continues past the point, that passes point. It would have been far too soon to put the titles on Bad Influence. They're not being called Bad Influence. That was their TNA name. Now they're just known as Frankie Kazarian and Christopher Daniels. But um, as long as the feud continues past this point and they continue to develop more chemistry together, I think they could have a great series of matches over the ROH Tag Team Championships. But overall, though, I thought this was also a very good matchup from both teams. Um, Bobby Fish, actually, coincidentally enough, I also, I didn't meet him, but I did see him wrestle at a Northeast Wrestling event a couple of months ago, I think back in the month of March in Bethany, Connecticut, and he worked as a baby face, which is weird, because I said to uh, some people that were with me at the show that he looks like a straight-up heel, and he worked as a baby face for one reason or another, it was really strange, but anyway, though, really good matchup, and then came the main event, Michael Elgin versus Adam Cole for the ROH Championship. Uh, Michael Elgin has been battling for the title ever since Adam Cole won the damn thing back in September. So I didn't know that before this matchup, and that was great storytelling. Adam Cole comes off as a great young heel champion to me personally. I saw an interview between him and Sam Roberts a couple of weeks ago, and it was great stuff. Just the way that he presents himself, his mic skills, his in-ring ability. Um, very good in the ring. I really enjoyed it. I, I, I really enjoy Adam Cole personally. I've been, I, I've seen him before on Matt Hardy's YouTube channel because they do have an alliance and whatnot. And Matt Hardy made his presence felt in this contest along with Michael Bennett. But, um, just Adam Cole in general just really comes off for the age of 20 frickin' four is really impressive. And the fact he's been able to hold the ROH title for this long and f- just recently find his stride as champion is very impressive. So Adam Cole is a great asset to the uh, to Ring of Honor. Um, maybe it could be seen. Maybe Ring of Honor could be seen as a stepping stone to the WWE for so many of these guys. And Adam Cole, I think, could also flourish in WWE if given the opportunity. But um, yeah, just Adam Cole in general, just very high in him. Michael Elgin, the unbreakable Michael Elgin, I should just as I should say, um, it's not that I'm not as high on him as I am on Michael, as uh, as I am Michael Cole, as I am on Adam Cole, but um, with Michael Elgin though, he just doesn't come off as as confident on the mic and in his in his abilities as Adam Cole does. Maybe that's the fact that he's a face. Maybe he works better as a heel. I'm not exactly sure. But um, even still, though, Michael Elgin is very impressive in his role, that dominant babyface role. He doesn't have the best mic skills, but um, he is a very good wrestler. These two had a hell of a matchup. Like I said, with the tag team matchup, this and the tag team no DQ matchup, I would put up there as the best matches of the night. Really enjoyed this. Some interference from Maria, Michael Bennett, Matt Hardy, the allies of Adam Cole. But despite it all, Michael Elgin was able to um, was able to overcome the odds, pick up the victory, your new ROH World Heavyweight Champion. And I was kind of half expecting that going into the show, if only because this was Ring of Honor's first show on pay-per-view live. 
So they needed to make a good first impression, similar to how NXT Arrival was the first wrestling event on the WWE Network, and they did the title change to kind of, you know, engage some interest and, um, you know, bring in some new fans to NXT. And that was kind of what Ring of Honor did with this show, and I'll get to my overall thoughts on the show in just a second. But um, I did think it was a similar idea to put the championship on Michael Elgin. Not that Adam Cole was a bad champion, actually quite the opposite, or um, I thought it was time for him to drop the title. But um, some people were disappointed that he dropped the championship. He could very well get it back at some point soon down the road. But um, I did think that it was the best way to, you know, cap off the story for Michael Elgin of this long road to gaining the ROH World Heavyweight Championship and uh, being the 20th champion in Ring of Honor history. And I also really liked how they put over the prestige of that championship. Now it's led to future stars in the business for guys like... Nigel McGuinness, for guys like Austin Aries, for Samoa Joe, CM Punk, Brian Danielson, a.k.a. Daniel Bryan. Um, I really liked how they put over the prestige of the championship here. Um, so great stuff from the main event. Overall, I really enjoyed the show. Um, like I said before, ROH's first showing on pay-per-view. I thought it was a great showing for them, a great first showing for Ring of Honor. And uh, some people said that this was TNA's or ROH's opportunity to bring in some new fans. And although I've been watching for only the last month, I thought this really even encouraged me more to keep on watching the product um, for their great wrestling. And some people were complaining about the product, the, the production standpoint on this show. That doesn't bother me at all. And I'm a sucker for, for, for production, for entrance themes, pyro, all that BS for WWE, that's what kind of draws me into the WWE. That's not the only reason, but it's one of the biggest reasons. From a production standpoint, how WWE just, um, you know, just excels at everything they do from that standpoint. But um, because I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff in WWE, doesn't mean I'm going to turn away from Ring of Honor. And that doesn't really bother me. Maybe it's different for other people, but the lighting on the show and the entrance, I thought it was very well done, for one thing. But, um... I, that stuff didn't bother me at all, to be honest with you. I didn't think it take. I didn't. I didn't think it took away from the show at all. But um, yeah. Overall, I thought this was a really good show. A lot of awesome action. Definitely suggest people go out of their way to watch it. Even if you're not a Ring of Honor fan, definitely give it a shot. Um, whether you buy for it on pay per view, find it online. Regardless, I thought it was well worth the twenty five dollars that um, fans paid for it. And a lot of great action, like I said before, Michael Elgin, your new ROH championship, your new ROH World Heavyweight Champion. So made the show newsworthy in that sense. Also, the returns of Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian. So I look forward to where ROH goes from here. Hopefully they continue to build off of this as a company. And um, yeah, just really enjoying ROH right now. Hopefully they can continue the strong momentum in months ahead. So that's going to carry over to my Monday Night Raw review for June 23rd, 2014. The final show before the Money in the Bank pay-per-view this upcoming Sunday. And also the final Raw before I attend Raw next Monday on June 30th. And only six days from when I film this. Very much looking forward to that. So on next week's podcast, I'll be talking about my experience at Monday Night Raw on Monday night, June 30th in Hartford. So that should be awesome. But nevertheless, June 23rd Raw kicked off with Stephanie McMahon and Vicky Guerrero. Stephanie McMahon offering an ultimatum to Vicky about how um, this could be her final night in WWE if they competed in the match later on in the night. And I mean, initially this kind of stuff made me roll my eyes. and like, oh, why are they kicking off a Monday night Raw Six days before a pay-per-view with two women that aren't even going to be on the show, probably. I mean, Stephanie will probably be there, but it's not like they're wrestling, you know what I mean? Um, with an angle, I mean, Vicky Guerrero being fired for the upteenth time, boo-hoo, I mean, who cares? And I mean, fans really have never had an incentive to believe that Vicky Guerrero has been legitimately fired because of the dozen times that she's been fired over the last 
nine years as GM, she's always come back in some role, either as the manager or as the GM for the opposite show, for the opposite um, Raw or SmackDown, whatever. So, fans have really never been given an incentive to care about Vicky Guerrero being fired, because we always know that she'll be back. This time, it was a little bit different, because there were some rumors going around a couple of months ago that Vicky Guerrero was on her way out of the company around WrestleMania 30, uh, I think it was WrestleMania 30 weekend, and the news broke, and it didn't come to fruition, she ended up staying for a little bit longer, but uh, her contract, I guess, is up, and she wanted to pursue some other endeavors, going back to school and stuff like that, maybe spend some more time with her family, I think that's the reason why she left five years ago, but um, anyway, though, um, I thought this ended up being much better than expected. It wasn't a traditional match between Vicky and Stephanie. It ended up being a pudding match. I mean, they didn't call it pudding. They called it some sloppy substance. I'll call it pudding, whatever. That's what I called my written review on my website, shameless plug. But uh, go check that out. Anyway, um, I thought this was very well done. This was not your traditional matchup, like I said before, nor should it have been. Neither Vicky Guerrero nor Stephanie McMahon are in-ring competitors. But um, Vicky Guerrero ended up getting the better of the three divas that Stephanie McMahon brought out to take out Vicky in the form of Layla, Alicia Fox, and who was the other one? Uh, and Rosa Mendez, because Oksana's gone, so they need another healed diva, so they brought out uh, the schmuck Rosa Mendez, who hasn't been seen on TV in months. But um, anyway, though, I thought that was um, very well done. Like I said before, I thought Vicky Guerrero... She turned babyface with just one promo from uh, Stephanie McMahon earlier on the night. It just goes to show just how great of a heel Stephanie is. And um, while Vicky Guerrero was celebrating doing the yes chant, Stephanie McMahon got the better of her, threw her in the pudding. It was never really an official matchup. The bell never rang. But um, it did serve as a send-off for Vicky Guerrero, who has now fired threw Stephanie in the pudding anyway, which is also a great sight for male viewers alike. But nevertheless... Um, Vicky Guerrero has now been fired from the WWE in storyline. I guess she's legitimately leaving, but by far the best part of this entire segment was hearing Eddie Guerrero's music when she came out. And I noted on Twitter earlier in the night that Vicky Guerrero, over the course of her nine-year tenure in WWE, was, I think, the only individual or only or, or one of the only individuals to have no insurance theme for her entire run in WWE. It's not like she was around for a year or two. And I know Paul Heyman doesn't have any music either, but he came out to his own entrance music during his first stint with WWE in 01, 02, 03, 04, whatever, at SmackDown GM. But anyway, though, um, even still, Vicky Grow is one of the only individuals in WWE history to be in the company for a lengthy period of time and never have an entrance theme. And um, they changed that on her last night in the company, coincidentally enough, by having her come out to Eddie's theme song, which I thought was great, a great moment. The crowd should have popped bigger than they did for the theme. But um, I thought it was still an awesome moment for a lot of people, even more so for the people that were watching during Eddie's time. I was not watching during Eddie's time, and I still thought it was an amazing moment. But um, she en- she entered the ring to that, and she also left the arena to that theme after throwing Stephanie in the mud. She did the little Eddie shimmy, and then the music hit. So an awesome moment for Vicky Guerrero. I'm glad that she was not humiliated on her way out by being, you know, being divorced by Edge or by being puked on by frickin' Stephanie and still one of the worst angles in recent Raw history or all, or all of Raw history for that matter. But um, anyway, I thought it was a great send-off for Vicky. Really enjoyed it. Great way to cap off a nine-year career in WWE. Did more than anyone else ever expected her to. So, um, yeah, as GM, as a manager, 
whatever whatever role she whatever role she portrayed, she hit it right out of the park. She got more heat than anyone else on the roster for the most part. And it's funny that the managers are more over than the actual wrestlers themselves. But you know, former Missed WrestleMania for a short period of time, if you remember that. Former managing consultant, SmackDown general manager, Raw GM, assistant GM, um, uh, whatever you, whatever role it was, she was great in it. She did her job for the nine years that she was in the company. And part of me is sad to see her go. I mean, I'll miss booing her every single Monday night when she says, "Excuse me." But part of me is happy to see her move on. I mean, she's happy in life. She's moving on to bigger and better things with going back to school and whatnot, going back home to Houston. But, um, you know, she served as GM for so long for SmackDown and Raw and whatever else that it really didn't serve her purpose at, at, anymore. I mean, at this day and age, general managers, as I said in the show a couple of weeks ago, just don't serve a purpose day, this day and age, especially with the authority around. So she didn't serve much of a role on WWE TV anymore, so I was happy to see her go um, in that respect. But, you know, legitimately, though, I am sad to see her go and that I won't be able to boo her anymore, but she did have an amazing nine-year run, so all I could say is hashtag thank you, Vicky. And um, that was the biggest highlight from the show. We also had other few announcements with Triple H announcing the contestants in this Sunday's Money in the Bank traditional contract ladder match, which, inclu- which includes the likes of Jack Swagger, Seth Rollins, who was announced last week on WWE Main Event, um, Kofi Kingston, Dean Ambrose, who was added a little later on. We also have, who else? Wade Barrett, Dolph Ziggler, and Rob Van Dam, which also tied right into the matchup between Rollins and Rob Van Dam on the show. I thought it was a very good matchup. The, what was even better was the verbal exchange between RVD and Rollins beforehand. Um, Rollins saying that, oh, you haven't been relevant. I mean, I would take you more serious. Or, here's, here's what was said. RVD was saying that, oh, you guys don't take me seriously as a contestant in this matchup. And Rollins was saying that, yeah, I would take you seriously if this was 2005. And that was a great line. And then RVD popped back with, well, you were back in 2005 when you were still in school watching me. Um, aspiring to become a pro wrestler, so that was also a very good line, too. And they had a very good matchup, and the finish ended in a DQ, as much Rollins matches have in the, in the last number of weeks. And I didn't have a problem with that. I mean, it protected RVD, and it, it looked like uh, Rollins would have picked up the victory anyway, so it made him look superior in that sense. And um, we also got another fun brawl between Ambrose and Rollins. The single best feud in WWE today, probably the only real feud in WWE today. But I think it's great. I'm a big fan of both Ambrose and Rollins at this point in time. Always have been since the start of The Shield. But um, even so, I think both guys have been flourishing in their respective roles. And I look forward to them clashing in the Money in the Bank ladder match on Sunday night. Also on this show, we had the handicap matchup that we saw from SmackDown, so it really drives home the fact that any half-decent matchup that you get on SmackDown, you'll see a repeat of it just mere days later on Raw. It was a good matchup, and um, the faces once again won. I thought that was a mistake. I thought the heels should have won, especially since the odds were in their favor. But anyway, though, that was a good matchup. Afterwards, Kane comes out, destroys everyone. It's announced that he's going to be the eighth and final member in the Money in the Bank ladder match for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. And I was a bit confused as to why he wasn't announced for the contract ladder match. So it is good to see him involved in the championship matchup itself. And then Roman Reigns knocked him out with the spear. Um, mere seconds later, the show goes off the air with Triple H and Roman Reigns 
um, within going engaging in a massive stare down, pretty much planting the seeds for their SummerSlam showdown in a few more months, which should be great. So that was a good way to close off the show. Also on the show, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this, an awesome Intercontinental Championship matchup between Bad News Barrett and Dolph Ziggler. Um, a great contest. And I mean, let it be known, both these guys deserve being to be, both guys deserve to be in the main event. That goes without saying for both Barrett and Ziggler. Barrett's been treated a little bit better as of late, given that he's the Intercontinental Champion. Ziggler's been in the uh, been in the doghouse with WWE since last summer. But despite all that, you take away the politics, you let these guys go out there and have a hell of a matchup. They definitely delivered. The action from start to finish was amazing. Really enjoyed it. The final few minutes, I found myself out of my seat and cheering for Dolph Ziggler to become the underdog and win the championship from Barrett. The crowd was into it. Both guys delivered at a very strong pace, a great pace throughout the matchup. Um, strong showing from both guys. And Barrett, in the end, ended up hitting the bull hammer elbow out of nowhere, knocking out Dolph Ziggler, who spit out his gum in a great visual. Some people thought it was his tooth. So it goes to show how believable Dolph Ziggler in his role is in his role as the underdog and doing that kind of stuff. So I thought that was a great touch. And Barrett's still your Intercontinental Champion. So I thought that was a great matchup. Great stuff from both Barrett and Ziggler. And uh, hopefully it goes to show, hopefully it proves to the WWE, hey, we're here, um, take notice, we are here to steal the show, no pun intended. But um, hopefully these guys get better treatment. I'm very glad to see both guys involved in the Money in the Bank ladder match on Sunday. I'll give my predictions for that in a minute. But both guys deserve better than just an IC Championship matchup. And speaking of the IC title, the matchup definitely boosted the prestige of the IC Championship. And I'm not one of those people that will tell you that one match will make the title prestigious. It's not possible. But um, it was a step in the right direction for the championship and for both guys. Dolph Ziggler looked great in defeat. Barrett looked great as usual. So I'm looking forward to both guys um, in, in their respective performances in the upcoming MITB ladder match on Sunday night. So that was pretty much it for Monday Night Raw. We really didn't have much else uh, aside from the main event. We had Big E versus Abe Lincoln, a.k.a. Damian Sandow. That was dumb. Um, it's very sad to see that Damian Sandow, after one year removed from winning the matchup, from winning the Money in the Bank ladder match, is not even involved in a Money in the Bank ladder match. So that was pathetic. Um, we also had Swagger and Kingston, a nice matchup. We just don't really have an incentive to care about either guy right now. So people didn't really care. Um, Dallas versus Titus O'Neil was really strange. Naomi versus Alicia Fox, good matchup. And I'll get to my prediction for the Divas title match in a minute. Um, and the matches involving Harper and Jimmy Uso and Jay Uso and Eric Rowan effectively hyped up the tag team championship matchup for Money in the Bank on Sunday. So overall, I thought this is a good show. Um, very good hype show. The final, uh, final, a very good final go home show for the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, excuse me. Um, it, I'm not really any more excited for the event than I was beforehand, but it did a very good job of driving home the fact that there's a lot of stacked matches. There's a stacked card for Sunday show, and hey, get the show. If you don't already order the WWE Network, watch it on traditional pay-per-view. If you own the WWE Network, watch it. Money in the Bank is always awesome. I have no doubt in my mind that Sunday show will be much of the same, so I look forward to it. But um, yeah, overall though, I thought this was a great show and I really enjoyed it. So we'll go right into my Money in the Bank predictions for this upcoming Sunday night in Boston. Um, the next night's Raw is in, Connecticut, is in Connecticut, so I very much look forward to that. 
But anyway, though, here are my predictions for the WWE Money in the Bank 2014 pay-per-view. Kicking it off with Paige versus Naomi for the Divas Championship. So with only four matches already announced for the show, and it's very likely that more matches will be announced for the pay-per-view in the next couple of days. That was the same case with Payback um, last month. And I record these things on Tuesday, so it's very likely that we'll get more matches announced for the pay-per-view before the pay-per-view on Sunday night. Um, but anyway, though, Paige versus Naomi is a matchup that I look forward to for the first time in a long time. The first Divas title match that I'm actually excited for, if only because there's a story behind it. And I've been cl- I've been clamoring for a story and complaining about this for a long time for in the Divas division that we need a story behind these matches. Okay, Alicia Fox gets a win. Uh, you know that makes her automatically automatically makes her the contender for the Divas Championship. Okay, that's all fine and good, but we need a story. Paige has had very little to no character de- development since coming up to the main roster, which is a shame. I think last night on commentary was the first time that we've heard from her on the main roster since her night for her since her first night in on the main roster against AJ when she won the Divas Championship. But um, even still, though, I'm looking forward to this matchup. It should be very good. Paige and Naomi had a very good matchup on main event last week. So this should be much of the same. Also an intriguing factor in this contest is Cameron. I'm very surprised that I'm even saying that. But Cameron has been teasing a heel turn as of late, putting the BS rumors to rest that Naomi is the one to turn heel and Cameron's the one to turn face. That was probably just a mistake because it's very easily, um, you can very easily tell that it's the other way around. But, um... Either way, Cameron costing Naomi the championship or interfering and causing it to go to a no contest is a great way to close it out. I'm looking forward to it. Um, Either way, I still say Paige walks out of this thing still the Divas champion. I think it's still too soon to take the title off of her. But um, it should be a good matchup. Naomi will get her due as Divas champion at some point. Maybe it leads to a triple threat match also involving Cameron at some point going into SummerSlam. Or even you get Naomi versus Cameron. Um, going into the SummerSlam pay-per-view. And hopefully we, it, this leads into a return from AJ. And um, think about this for a second. If we get AJ back, feuding with Paige for the Divas Championship, and then you get Naomi versus Cameron in a feud together, and then you have Summary versus Leda, and, and a feud I'm not really fond of, really, at the moment. I don't really care to see it. But that's three feuds in the Divas division right now, which I think would be great. So hopefully they continue to... Uh, Push the Divas Division as, you know, entertaining and intriguing and interesting with these storylines. But either way, I see Paige coming out of this thing. Still your Divas Champion. Up next for the WWE Tag Team Championships, the Uso Brothers taking on Luke Harper and Eric Rowan for the WWE Tag Team titles. I forgot to mention this in my Raw review, but I'm really of two minds of the new theme for the Wyatt family for Harper and Rowan. Not for Bray Wyatt. He's keeping his own theme song. And I know it's a, like a harmonica version of um, he's got the whole world in his hands. The whole world in his hands thing, it was entertaining at one point. They're really not, it's not catching on as it once was. And it's kind of annoying at this point. So to hear their theme song, as heels it works. But, um, I would have been fine had they kept the, uh, had they just kept their old theme, Live in Fear, with the, with these two. But on the, on the flip side of things though, it gives them their own identity. And if they are going to win the tag team titles on Sunday, I guess it is a crucial thing to give them their own identity as tag team champions. But um, either way, though, this match could very well go either way. It should be an awesome matchup. They've had great matches in the past. But um, like I said, either team could come out of this thing victorious as tag team champions. I guess I'll take the safe route and go with the Usos, assuming that the Ascension gets called up soon and we see that feud come to fruition. 
Um, Harper and Rowan don't need tag team titles, but if they are to come out of the Sync Tag Team Champions and Wyatt wins the WWE World Heavyweight Championship, that'd be a great follow-up to Monday Night Raw on Monday night with all three members of the Wyatt family holding gold, much like the Shield did last year. That'd be a fantastic hook coming in Raw and a, and a great thing for the Wyatt family stable. But um, I don't know. I just have a feeling that the Usos will... Pick up the victory here, pick up the victory here, and retain the tag team championships. And uh, maybe we see a title change next night on Raw. That'd be awesome because I'll be there. But um, either way, maybe we see the title change hands at some point in the near future. But uh, I don't know. I still see the Usos coming out of this thing victorious. And I forgot to mention this before, but Daniel Bryan will be on the pre-show on Sunday night to address the authority for the first time being since being stripped of the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. I forgot to mention that before. There is no pre-show match. But um, Daniel Daniel Bryan will be appearing. I think probably not in person. They never really said in person, so I don't think I don't expect them to be there in person. Maybe via Skype or over a phone call or something. I don't know. But that's one hook for the pre-show. There is no match this year um, for the Money in the Bank pre-show. But um, up next for the WWE Money in the Bank contract ladder match, uh, where the winner of this contest will earn a shot at the WWE World Heavyweight Championship at any time, any place of their choosing for up to the next year. The contestants include Seth Rollins, Kofi Kingston, Jack Swagger, Bad News Barrett, Dolph Ziggler, RVD, and Dean Ambrose. And I'll do the same thing with the title ladder match, too. I'll break it down person-by-person basis. Seth Rollins is easily the best candidate to win the briefcase in this contest, so I'll go with Seth Rollins. Kofi Kingston is a joke. I mean, he hasn't meant anything in years since his deep push five years ago against Randy Orton. So, um, yeah, I'll go with uh, Randy Orton. um, being. uh, I'm sorry, I'll go with Kofi Kingston not winning this matchup here, but... Being involved in this contest is a plus for Kofi. He's always a uh, highlight reel in the Money in the Bank ladder matches, so I look forward to what he'll produce in this contest. Jack Swagger, same thing. They haven't done anything with him for a long time, so he's not going to win. Um, I don't know why he was in this matchup over a guy like a Damian Sandow or a Big E or a Bo Dallas, but I don't know. Good for him, but he should have some fine spots in this matchup. Bad News Barrett is a, a dark horse for me personally. Um, Bad News Barrett has been pushing recent months. He was supposed to win the matchup a couple years ago, and I thought he might win it last year, and he didn't. And then he just disappeared from television shortly thereafter. But um, I would absolutely love to see Bad News Barrett emerge victorious here after Ambrose cost Rollins the contract, or vice versa. But um, I don't see him winning here, but I would absolutely mark the hell out if he did. But um, I think it is likely that we see Barrett win. I'm, I'm not saying he will win, but he is a likely candidate. Dolph Ziggler... Hasn't been pushed in forever. It would be the shock of the century if he was to win this one. But um, he should be um, a, a, he should be a highlight reel in this matchup like Kofi, so that should be good to see. RVD, same thing. He won't be winning. And Dean Ambrose is also a likely candidate. But of the two former Shield members, I see Th- Seth Rollins winning, given his alliance with the Authority and him versus Brian. Could be a hell of a contest for later down the line over the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. So for that contest, I've got Rollins going over. And in the main event, in the... WWE World Heavyweight Championship ladder match to crown a new champion. The contestants include Alberto Del Rio, Randy Orton, Sheamus, Cesaro, Bray Wyatt, John Cena, Roman Reigns, and now the newly added Kane. So like I did before, Del Rio, someone predicted to me last night that he'll win because he's a dark horse. I don't even know why he's in it to begin with. Um, if he wins, yeah, the sure, the shock is there, but no one gives two shits about Del Rio, and putting the title on him will not solve matters either. So Del Rio is not winning here. Randy Orton, I don't see that happening. I could see Roman Reigns winning and then defending against Orton next week or get next month at Battleground. 
But Randy Orton had his shots. He's done, so no. Sheamus is an interesting one, too. If only because it was rumored a few months ago, you know, going into WrestleMania 30, that him and Brian were supposed to clash at WrestleMania 30. And um, hopefully a heel turns on the horizon for Sheamus. I don't see it happening in the foreseeable future, but hopefully. Um, but either way, though, I don't see him carrying both the WWE World Heavyweight titles and the United States Championship at the same time simultaneously. So I don't see Sheamus winning here. Cesaro is a dark horse for me. Um, if only because I think if he wins, it'd be tremendous. It might be a little too soon. Out of the three young guys in this matchup, so to speak, so to speak of Bray Wyatt, Kane, and Cesaro, it might be too soon for Cesaro to win. But um, it would be a welcome sight to see him win the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. He is a future world champion, no doubt. Bray Wyatt's an interesting one, too. Um, he's been in headlining matches against John Cena. He's headlined Raw multiple times in the past. Um, I could see them putting the championship on him. But like with Reigns and like with um, Cesaro, if any of the young guys were get to get a reign with the WWE World Heavyweight title, their first reign with the championship should not be a brief one. If the plan is to just drop the championship next month at Battleground or two months from now at SummerSlam, then there's no point. So I wouldn't put the championship on Bray Wyatt, but it would be pretty awesome if he did win. I'd much rather have him win as opposed to Cena, but um, Cena will probably win. So speaking of Cena... I will probably, I'll go with him as winning this matchup. I don't want him to win. He shouldn't win, but he probably will win, knowing WWE. They made it so predictable that he will win this matchup. And they made it predictable two years ago when he won the Money in the Bank briefcase. And they'll make it predictable again that he's going to be winning the championship on Sunday. But um, Cena's a guy that he could win the championship and lose it a month later. Because he's held the championship so many goddamn times that it's okay if he loses it um, a month or two later, you know, Go so far as to say lose it a day later or eight days later, which has not um, been unheard of for John Cena. But I'll go with John Cena as the winner of this matchup. Roman Reigns would be awesome if he won this one. Might be a little too soon, but he's headlined pay-per-views. He's main-evented shows with Evolution in the past. I think he might be ready for the championship. And he could, like I said before, he could defend against Randy Orton and then go on to defend against Triple H at SummerSlam. But Reigns versus Triple H is a match at SummerSlam that doesn't need the championship attached to it. So I won't go with Reigns here. I don't think he wins, but it would be awesome if he did. And finally, Kane, he's just kind of in there because he's buddy-buddy with the authority. And um, he has no other place in the card. So Kane will we'll have, we'll have some cool spots. He was in the first ever Money in the Bank ladder match. He's a Money in the Bank ladder match veteran. So I'm looking forward to his involvement in the contest. Should be awesome. But he's not winning at all. Don't. Don't fool yourself. But, um, yeah, overall, though, I've got John Cena going over here. Yeah, overall, though, this card looks very, very good. I'm looking forward to it. Like I said before, Money in the Bank is always awesome. Go back to 2010, 2011, my favorite pay-per-view of all time. 2012 was good. 2013 was great, too. So, Money in the Bank on Sunday should be awesome. Look forward to watching it on the WWE Network live. And um, hopefully it has the potential to, you know, kind of set the course for WWE summer season, which really has been lacking in the last few weeks. Raw has been picking up and has been better in the last two episodes have been good. But hopefully this um, pay-per-view kind of sets a tone for WWE Summer Season, what storylines we should expect, you know, and going forward 
for WWE going into the road to SummerSlam in August. So that being said, that's going to wrap it up for today's edition of WrestleRant Radio, folks. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check back every Tuesday at nextwrestling.weebly.com for more of my talk of WWE, TNA, Ring of Honor, and much more. For the latest episodes of WrestleRant Radio, make sure to check back in the archive at nextwrestling.weebly.com. For all the shows dating back to October of 2013, when it first started, make sure to follow me on Twitter at WrestleRant. And also make sure to like me on Facebook at Graham Jason Matthews. YouTube, same thing. Bleacher Report, same thing. So like I said before, folks, thanks for listening. Make sure to enjoy Money in the Bank this upcoming Sunday. Next week's show, I'll be talking about my live experience at Monday Night Raw. Super pumped for it. June 30th in Hartford. Should be a great time. Enjoy the rest of the week, folks. This is Graham Jason Matthews, and I'll catch you guys next week.